As the tech industry makes the world smaller, business gets bigger. As your company grows, HSBC has the ability to scale with you with a vast global network made up of local expertise. Search HSBC Tech Industry to contact your local specialist. Coming up on Equity, Stitch Fix priced its IPO and there was a bit of a controversy and also SailPoint made its debut. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Katie Roof, joined by my colleague, Matthew Lindley. Hello. Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief, Alex Wilhelm. What up? And our special guest today is Stephanie Palmieri, a partner at Uncork Capital, formerly Soft Tech VC, but I guess you're not doing, um, you're now doing hard tech as well. So We're doing all the change your name. Now. All the techs. <laughs> Good to be here. Well, why did you pick Uncorked, just if I can be optophic at the start? Uncork, <laughs> not Uncorked. Yes, Uncork oh, Capital. Uh, well, you know, there were a couple reasons, but primarily what we really felt like is we're helping companies at the earliest stages release their potential. So it's about helping seed stage companies who come in, open up an opportunity, and through that it's with funding, but also the other support services we provide for the companies that are raising, you know, two to three million dollars to get started. And so uh, there was some news this week. Uh, you're probably aware Stitch Fix prices IPO that uh, <laughs> turned out to be a very controversial. I mean, it, look, it was a great milestone uh, for women because there's unfortunately very few women that that take their company as public. Uh, it was Katrina Lake who um, she started Stitch Fix in 2011 and quite impressively grew the business to 977 million in annual revenue and at some points even turned a profit, which I know. Alex is excited about, but multi-year I mean, profitability. <laughs> Hell yeah! And it's a really a great accomplishment. And they're they're a fashion business. Um, you can do it as a subscription or on demand. But basically, you can order these boxes and get clothing delivered to you. Um, but, but but their IPO kind of missed. Well, kind of. It definitely missed their stated expectations. So companies have to state their expectations ahead of time. And in Stitch Fix's case, they said they were going to price shares between eighteen and twenty dollars, and that they're going to sell ten million shares. Unfortunately, uh, likely due to less than expected demand, they decided to sell eight million shares and price at fifteen dollars, which means they raised one hundred and twenty million instead of the one hundred ninety million that they would have raised at the midpoint of the range. If you're if you're still with me here, basically they raised less than their stated expectations, um, and then on the first day of the stock market. They opened at sixteen ninety. Now the fifteen dollar per share price. A lot of people don't seem to realize this. That is actually only an exclusive group of individuals have access at that price. It is hedge funds, institutional investors, and basically an exclusive group of individuals who are friends of the banks. It's not really fair. Definitely not fair. Uh, but that's how it works. If you're not already part of that group, you're not cool enough to be part of that group. So you did not get access to those shares at those prices. Right. right. Okay. No, but like you would know, you're not in that group. So where it opens, so the market makers the morning of the IPO. They determine where it opens and they um, they thought there was enough demand for it to pre- to open at 1690. And initially it went up even higher than that. You know, the, the most excited people about Stitch Fix buy right away because in case of a big pop on day one, which these things are priced for, by the way, right? that we've talked about on the show at, at length. And But um, yeah, and, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But basically it wound up closing at 1515, which was above the technical IPO price, but below the open. And, and also, below its 52-week range. I mean, according to Yahoo Finance, shares were as high as 1853 uh, and as low as 1448. Yes, on the first day of trading. No, and no, that's well, that's the total range, including a lower low. But yes, 
That's really yeah, over, over that the was, last two days. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was it's a brand new yeah, little company. Week, I mean, I mean, yeah. So, and, and we're recording this a few days before it's going to air, so we don't know exactly where it's going to be on on Friday. But uh, right now, it's Tuesday. Um, and, but um, but the bottom line is, it was technically up one percent from the IPO price, but it was um, down from this where the stock market investors would buy it, and it was also down from where the company's ex- expectations were, and also down from the twenty two sixty one that they had uh, done a tender offer at last year that it was revealed in their filing. They hadn't raised a ton of money, but. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> there so was the, a bit of a controversy because because IPOs typically also price between twenty and thirty per well usually between fifteen and thirty percent on day one is where they want to price IPOs and so um, yeah so what were you gonna say Alex? Well, just there was controversy about this and so I, why don't you give us your impressions about what happened and then I think we'll start there. Sure. So um, let's start with the fact that the you know it, it, IPOs at a at a price lower than expectations. You know I think the company has traditionally been fairly conservative. If you look at Katrina Lake has really only raised forty two million, which if you take a step back as an investor and I think about she has built a company doing close to a billion in revenue by only raising $40 million and, as you pointed out, has gotten to profitability multiple times. I mean, you're talking about a conservative management team that understands that they're in a business where they have to actually operate a little bit differently. So to me, even though, you know, on the surface it may look as though, hey, we set expectations, we're here, we're going to come in a little lower – that's a team that's, that's looking at their environment and they're responding to it. I think the second factor is, you know, there's a little bit of fatigue right now in the IPO market, particularly around consumer internet. And so, once again, Katrina and her team are responding to what they're seeing as market conditions. They've been a company that's always faced all of these hurdles. They've responded conservatively, you know, and, and for better or worse, there's this natural comparison that I think is falsely being drawn between their business and Blue Apron's business. Happy to go into details as to why, but I think I think, you know, it doesn't hurt that, that Blue Apron had some really disappointing earnings about a week before, you know, her IPO. And so I think, you know, again, they're responding to the market. It would be way worse if the stock pops and then goes way, way down. Totally. Right? And you're putting employees underwater. You're putting investors underwater. So, you know, this is, this is you know, we're on day three as we're recording this. <laughs> you know, day one, day two, day three, it's still really early days for the stock. Even well, the first 30 days. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well I mean, part, I think I feel like part of the, the concern with Stitch Fix is, you know, when you look at it, yeah, they had several quarters of profitability, but they also pretty much sat relatively close to break even and uh, maybe a little bit down, I think, in the most recent quarter. Right. And. You know, Stitch Fix like they their their business obviously is really really strong. But if you're gonna if you're gonna grow that TAM, you have to enter new incremental markets, right? So you enter menswear, you enter different different things like that, and those have like pretty different dynamics, right? So if you look at like the well, if you look at the real real for example, right? This is a, that's like uh, I think that's like the high end retailer. They've raised something like almost two hundred million dollars in order to actually get that up and running, right? And I think they did like a fifty million dollar round recently. So that's like a you know that's you know just looking at that will. Either the, it looks awesome to investors, or it requires like a different set of operational tools, right? And if you're Stitch Fix, you want to own like 
all of this, right? You want to own like all of these markets simultaneously and you have to figure out how to like, you have to figure out how to change the playbook periodically, right? Well, you know, I mean, I, I have a perspective. I'm not an investor in Stitch Fix. I'm an investor in a company called Poshmark, which is a marketplace to take no inventory. And they're doing really well. And they're doing really well. <laughs> I just wrote about it this week. They yeah. are doing really well. But, you know, I think what's, you know, if I look at their business, they've launched men's and children's in the last year and they've been really healthy businesses for us. And we see a lot of growth potential in that business. So the, I would extrapolate the same into Stitch Fix just because the dynamic of the customer might be slightly different. First off, that customer potentially is now going to buy for her child or maybe for her significant other. And so it actually may be the same customer that's expanding the amount of dollars going into Stitch Fix. And and, and I wouldn't underestimate the power of men to have someone choose something for them from a stylist. <laughs> so I do think, you know, I do think her businesses in the uh, in those newer categories are more nascent, but there is I wouldn't I wouldn't underestimate the growth potential there. And there's some key differences between Poshmark and Stitch Fix oh, absolutely. for sure. Like, Inventory being yeah, the number exactly, one. Exactly. Difference. And I think that's one of the key differentiators for Poshmark, which really helps their financials is they don't have the cost. That's absolutely. a tough thing in the fashion business is because you could be doing really well one season and the next season you could get it wrong and not figure out what people are going to want to buy. Because in Stitch Fix's case, they send people boxes based on, and, and, and what they have is they say machine learning or, or basically they have what they believe is a sophisticated system. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a combination, right? It's a it's combination of a human stylist powered by some AI and technology to help that stylist make better recommendations. And I do, you know, I remember, again, not insider in the company, but I do know as they added on that human layer of the stylist, it was actually a pretty big uh, growth uh, enabler for them because there is that human element to picking out fashion. We develop a relationship with the things that we wear, right? And so having another person on the other end um, actually has been really important for their business. It's a a combination of both. The stylist is enabled by the data, and and so the power of the two is really where, you know, is is what they consider to be their special sauce. Well, I mean, just semi-related to that, it's like, yeah, like, I want to have someone shopping for me. I want to have a stylist or things like that. But, I mean, if also I feel like if you look at, like, a $1,200 iPhone coming out, you're talking about, you know, tech devices increasingly chewing up that consumer spend, right? And so it's the, so the question is, like, you know, if, would I rather spend a ton of money on an iPhone and hold on to this, like, one Slayer shirt that I have in the case of Alex, right? Um, or, <laughs> I'm guessing or, Alex isn't their target customer. Yeah, uh, he, I mean, he could use Do one, I look that bad, really? <laughs> I mean, no, but that, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing they're not selling a ton of Slayer t-shirts. I am wearing $6 flip-flops I bought from the Walgreens down the street. But, so, and I'm wearing Rent the Runway right now. Well, <laughs> and it's a very cute dress. Our audience lot, can't see it, but it's green with flowers. It's very on trend. But I mean, if you're if you're if tech is like continuously eating away at your budget, right? Then you know where does I mean, does Stitch? I mean, Stitch Fix obviously has like a, a pretty like pretty good tailwinds going for it, right? And a lot and a big potential market opportunity. But at the same time, it's like now what I have to spend an extra thirteen hundred. You know, we can sit in this room in Silicon Valley and say that tech is eating away at a lot of our budgets. But and the reality is, obviously, folks across the country and around the world are buying iPhones, and their their discretionary spend is going towards technology. But again, I wouldn't underestimate the power of fashion. And fashion is a just like having the newest phone is a is a an extension of who I am as my own brand. So are the things that I wear. And so you know, if you think about where a lot of these 
internet companies in the fashion space have gotten so much fire and potential from. It's about giving access to fashion that previously wasn't accessible in large parts of the country. If I even think about my own personal experience, I spent the first decade of my career living in New York. My closet looked entirely different than it has in the last seven years in San Francisco. <laughs> oh my gosh, I used to live in New York and it's the same thing. Right? My dresses are hidden in a closet. Yeah, you Can't hide the dresses. <laughs> right. But you know, if you think about it, like if you have access to boutique fashion, uh, in your, you know, down the street, your shopping habits are going to look potentially a little different than if you don't have access to a lot of different choices in other markets. So I don't know. I would argue, you know, consumer spending is is certainly not going down anytime soon. Maybe we're spending more and more on discretionary spend and we're not saving. But I wouldn't really worry about the iPhone budget messing up Stitch Fix. <laughs> so the reason, the reason why we care so much about the Stitch Fix IPO is because there's a lot of controversy around if it was successful or not. And this well, weekend, it's like sixteen bucks right now. So. This this weekend, there was one of those epic like VCs don't do much on the weekends Twitter threads <laughs> in which everyone was going back and forth talking about if it was a success or not. And I, what I, I'll give a stab at it really quick. The idea was it was a technical success in every way. It raised a lot of money for the company, provided liquidity, um, just did a good job being an IPO. Uh, and some people felt that the decrease in the price point um, made it an kind of unsuccessful IPO, and that also that first day performance was sufficiently lacking as to imply um, what could become a downward slope. Now, today, as Lindley points out, the shares are at $16, so they're up above their IPO price, still down below the $18 to $20 range. Um, so it becomes a bit of a point of nuance in terms of if, if this is successful or not, because, in again, technical sense, it was. But if you expect a 20% pop from all IPOs, it was not. Well, well, optic, a, yeah. Sorry, go okay, ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say optics matter, though, yeah. right? Like, I mean, if you're talking about building, uh, I mean, an IPO event is like great liquidity, great, you know, we, we raise money or whatever. But like a company going public is like a really big publicity event for them as well, right? It's like we are a legit company you know, buy fashion from us, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it will. I think it will elevate the brand for sure. I mean, the, the other the other piece there, though, is this is, you know, day, whether we're day three, you're listening to this on day day five, I think, of trading. If you get to Friday, because Thursday's not a trading day with Thanksgiving. Um, you know, the two biggest things that are going to impact this, you know, in terms of earnings will be the first earnings report is going to have a huge impact. And then the lockup expiry, right? And we're, we're months out from those, 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 two, those two scenarios. And so up until that first earnings, and then again, Again, that lockup expiry, we're going to see a lot. You know, the other thing we're not talking about is Katrina Lake actually was going to share, sell a million of her shares at that higher price point and decided to not sell at the $15 price point. That's yeah. interesting I to have, not take that money off the table. I have the quote. I pulled that up because I thought that was an amazing point. So in our interview with Recode, the question was, you had originally planned to sell personally, sell a million shares in the IPO, but you're not. Why? And Katrina responded, I'm just not interested in selling at that price. I have conviction that this company is going to be worth a lot more money, and it didn't make sense to sell at that price, which in my view is probably the best mic drop CEO comment I've seen post-IPO Absolutely. in some time. Yeah, I man, mean, it's great. This is a company and a founder that's been continuously underestimated by the market, as are a lot of, frankly, female founders and a lot of founders in this fashion commerce space. So here you have a bunch of, frankly, male analysts out there, you know, going back and forth on the merits of this subscription box versus a blue apron subscription box, 
underestimating, I think, a lot of the fundamentals and underestimating who's at the leadership of this company. Yeah, and, and there was just a couple quick points here about the IPO that I realized some people might not have been aware of with IPOs. And what happened with Stitch Fix is there is some stabilization me- mechanics that bankers have to keep IPOs at the IPO price within the first 30 days of trading. And so in Stitch Fix's case, um, bankers, since it priced at $15 a share, bankers are able to buy shares at $15. It's actually, they also sold shares at $15. So they're not actually losing or, or making money exactly, although they would have not they would have made more money had they not had to buy back the shares. Uh, and they did that on day one. It's, I mean, you, you, they are not going to say that they did that, but it's pretty clear from the stock chart that where it was it was trending down beneath 15 and where it flattened, they were buying some shares. And, and I don't know if they bought all their shares or not. Um, they can continue to buy them for up to 30 days is usually the case. So um, there's a lot of nuances to IPOs. And um, really what a, one of the controversies was about the IPO pop. Presently, and Goldman Sachs <laughs> managed this IPO, Presently, the banks advocate for like 15, 30% on day one and for the company to go up relative to its IPO price. Since Stitch Fix didn't, and I put that in my headline, Stitch Fix went up just 1% on the first day of trading, people... uh, some people in venture capital didn't like that. And it's because there's this idea that you're leaving money on the table. Because if you sell the the lower your price, um, the less... I mean, if, if the higher your price that you sell it at, the more money you raise for the company. But it's also higher for the shares to fall in the coming weeks. So um, it's kind of mislabeled as a discount. I think it should be called a cushion because it's really a, in the benefit of the company to have a little bit of a cushion there, I think. But uh, but that, that's a whole long story. We, but regardless of how it should be, it's relative to how it is. When, it, when you know that the bankers are pricing at a pop and it doesn't get that, you know that they missed expectations. Yeah. I feel like we've had the IPO pop discussion with every single possible VC IPO banker. And we've always gotten slightly <laughs> different answers. Like some people say, you know, five to 10%. Some people say 25 to 30. Some say 10 to 15. I really think it's still more magic than science yeah totally and, and th- that's the frustration no one has everyone, a crystal ball because everyone here i think especially on that epic twitter thread this weekend everyone had a particular <laughs> mindset they were trying to explain in like 14 characters and then so they would they would misrepresent someone else's point taken on and i'm guilty of this too i was on the thread and then we would end up making no progress um <laughs> but i i think that w- just thinking about this ipo in particular that the getting the money into the company's accounts matters so much more than any potential noise inside of our little bubble because I'm pretty sure Stitch Fix has a relatively good brand outside in like broader America and Equity has X number of listeners. You know what I mean? So like no offense to us in this discussion, but I wonder if we're almost missing the point about what this company needed, which was just some liquidity because if you look at their financials, which I pulled up here, they lost two cents a share, you know, in the first, you know, whatever it is, this is of this last fiscal year. So like, it's just not a lot of money. They're not burning a lot of cash. And they're just doing fantastically. So yeah, I just you, can't be too negative. You talked about magic. You talked about science. It's also timing, right? And, you know, we're nearing the end of the year. We've had a number of IPOs in the last couple of weeks even. And so you've just got a lot of investors making that trade-off between, you know, I, I bought Snap or I bought Snap, I bought Blue Apron. Now suddenly, do I want to take a risk in a new, new name or do I want to see how that new name is going to perform? Are they going to have the controls in place to be sustainable as a public company? 
Again, I'm not an insider. I don't know. But something tells me this team is a little bit more buttoned up and conservative. And so maybe won't run into those same things that have caused like Blue Apron to slide 70 percent in the market. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really, um, the reason people have drawn parallels between this and Blue Apron is Blue Apron competed with Amazon and that freaked out Wall Street. Stitch Fix also theoretically would compete with Amazon. Actually, Blue Apron didn't directly compete Anybody with Amazon. Anybody who ships anything. Like really anything. Right? Consumer competes with Amazon and somehow investors must be really bullish on Amazon right Let's now. Put it this way. I would trust a Stitch Fix stylist over Amazon to choose my outfit. Same. Same. <laughs> Definitely. Yes, I wouldn't yes. trust Amazon to style anything I've ever owned. Have you seen that god-awful website they still have on the it's internet? awful. Like, it is, it, it's like Craigslist, but with orange. Um, um, anyways, there was another IPO. Yes, and we'll do a brief recap with that one. Um, there was SailPoint, which um, is an enterprise identity solutions business. Um, there's a lot of things in the identity category, uh, but they, they uh, went up 8% on their debut. Um, they raised $240 million. They're an Austin, Texas-based company. Um, they help verify identities of employees. They're in the same category as Okta, but they're not in the same stage of the process. I, t- uh, you know, I talked to the CEO, Mark McLean, and he says they're the control room behind the badge reader, whereas the duo is the badge itself, and Okta is the sign-in. That's how he characterizes it. Make it make with figure out what that means. But um, the company brought in 118.3 million in revenue for fiscal 2017. It's up from 88.1 million last year. Losses for 2017 were 13 million. Um, sorry, losses for 2017 were 13 million compared to 6.5 million from the year before. Um, They're mostly owned by private equity, Tama Bravo, and um, they also had some venture in them, Lightspeed, Austin Ventures, and Origin Ventures. So Lightspeed has been in pretty large percentage of the IPOs this year. Also, how nice is it that instead of talking about IPOs we don't have, we have so many IPOs, we're kind of cramming them on to the end of shows. That's a great point. It feels fantastic. And it also proves our show right, because we have been calling that for months, that between Labor Day and Thanksgiving, there would be quite a few. Well, but um. After a, of, after a couple of really bad years, IPOs have finally found their legs it's again. It's really nice to see the window Just open. in time for the markets to correct and to close again. So I hope you're doing uh, well over there. You're well, we just, we just we just had SendGrid last week. So. Oh, oh, congrats. Yeah, so. Thank you. All right, legit. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, on that note, thanks for tuning in. Come back next week. All right, everyone. We want to say a special thanks to our producer, TechCrunch's own Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickavet. Thank you to Katie Roof. Thank you to Matthew Lindley. And thank you to you for leaving us that five-star iTunes review. That's Equity. We'll see you all next Friday.